Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're joined today by filmmaker Hal Hartley. His latest film is called Ned Rifle. It's the third and final chapter of his tragic comic epic that began with Henry Fool back in 1998 and continued with Faye Grimm in 2007. At once a saga concerning the Grimm family of Woodside, Queens, and how their lives have been turned upside down by the arrival of a self-proclaimed genius. That would be Henry Fool. The trilogy is also an illustration of America grappling with ideas, art, politics, religion, over the course of 20 years. In the swiftly paced and expansive conclusion, Henry's and Faye's son, that would be Ned, sets out to find and kill his father for destroying his mother's life. We'll leave it there. Uh, Hal Hartley is the director of such films as, as I said, Henry Fool, uh, Faye Grimm, as well as The Girl from Monday, Flirt, Amateur, Simple Men, career that goes back to 1989. He's an award-winning filmmaker, winning awards at such prestigious film festivals at Sundance and Cannes Film Festival. It's a true honor to have with us today Hal Hartley. Hal, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you. And tell us a little bit about now, obviously, this is the final chapter of the trilogy, as I mentioned, from Henry Fool, Faye Grimm, and now Ned Rifle. Uh, talk to us a little bit about um, the story, the arc of the story. Is there some thread, or do you want to talk strictly about Ned, let's just talk about Ned Rifle. Where, where, how did the, uh, how did you come to the final part of this trilogy? Well, um, when I made the first film back in, you know, I write, wrote it in 1996, 1997. Um, I wasn't thinking about a trilogy. I was just making a film that was different than my previous films. It, it was longer in time, but it covered more years and probably like a broader subject matter. It was about the family and their relationship with this guy, Henry, uh, but it was also about the community and society generally. So, you know, it was kind of bigger, had a more epic swagger or something. Mm-hmm. And that was that, but uh, we really, uh, me and the performers really kind of fell in love with these characters, and, and we could imagine these characters in a, in a lot of other kinds of situations. So I just left it at that. I would joke about it sometimes that maybe we'd make sequels or something but mm-hmm. um i in the event i really didn't like try to create a continuing story so much as you know every 10 years or so i'd make a new movie about a different subject matter mm-hmm. uh but the family the grim family would be at the center of it so i'd use them to explore different things now in a you know inescapably there are you know story lines that continue over yeah, right. 20 years through the thing. Right. And, uh, but I knew that um, the impetus was originally to make the second one because I wanted to work again with Parker Posey. And uh, we really enjoyed the work we did together on creating Faye and Henry Fool. So we said, let's go back and you know, do something more with her. Um, and then I knew if I made a second part, I would make a third part because that's just the way I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And if there were going to be a three, uh, third part, it would uh, make sense for it to be about their son. Okay, so so you you making uh, Henry Fool, you really didn't know 
at that moment that you were making Henry Fold that you would continue to do a, a three-part Correct, yeah. film. Um, was there something... So you knew when you were writing Ned Rifle that this would sort of end this chapter of your filmmaking career? Yeah, I, I knew there were certain a few things about the whole uh, Grimm family, Henry Fool relationship, and the history of all these characters. I wanted to kind of finally address, particularly why Henry, you know, seven years before the first film begins, he went to jail for a particular thing. And yeah. that there was never in the film Henry Fool, there was never really enough room uh, to address all of that. You know, it's just kind of talked about. But in this final film, we address that, you know, why he went to prison and, um, you know, the implications of the, the crime he had committed. It's terrific to see. Um, I, I love this about filmmakers who um, who are able to continue to work with people from film to film. I, I, I find that, uh, I imagine that you've used a lot of the same crew members um, be, behind yeah, the Yeah, there's always uh, you know, strong continuity. Yeah. yeah. And wh- one of the strengths of your films, and uh, I, one of the things I'm drawn to, uh, particularly with this trilogy with Henry Fool, uh, Faye Grimm, and, and now Ned Rifle, is um, you're in your pacing and, and the dialogue of your films, they tend to be, uh, you don't linger, you keep the film moving along. You keep the pace of the story moving along. And this film is, your films have been described, in these these three films as satirical, funny, sad, tragic, the rest of it. One of the things that I've, I find uh, most interesting about your dialogue and, and, and the acting as, as well is you don't tend to linger on any specific element that I just described for very long. Your films tend to move forward, and in one scene it can be funny, tragic, and um, at the same time. Right, yeah. yeah. Where did you get, how did, sort of, in developing that style, where did you draw some inspiration from? How did that, how did that come? I think it was uh, an impatience, probably like your own, not to just sit on something, you know, it's there, it's obvious, you know, it's said, it's funny, and that's it. Um, There was something in my filmmaking urge to to keep things moving. Um, Very much like music, you know, and I am a musician, so uh, I maybe I've always inclined to to think that way. But uh, it just even the simplest thing has movement within it. You know, um, ideas that are come across in dialogue, but also just people moving. You know, uh, I think in my very first films, I uh, had some success in doing very kind of almost static shots, just one person sitting there looking at somebody. But then I made it a little bit more extreme by, like, you never see the other person that they're talking to. You just hear them, things like that. But they were very simple, and they were based on necessity, trying to make a virtue of necessity, trying to do something strong, bring a strong voice uh, even if you didn't have uh, a ton of resources, a lot of money, a lot of equipment. But right. you could do something strong graphically, right. visually, uh, and, you know, uh, emotionally, intellectually. Um, but as I be- got, uh, as I made more and more films and, and became better at my craft, you know, I was able to invent uh, 
things, even with still limited resources, but I just had more skill, so I, I was able to concoct, you know, a little choreography, now both in terms of physical activity in the shot, but also dialogue, you know, so ideas, sad ideas, funny ideas could exist in the same conversation, um, and it's all about movement, melody, harmony. It's funny, as you're talking about this, uh, about a month or so ago, I had a a, a new filmmaker on, uh, Joel uh, Petrikas, who's done a film called Buzzard. And in the film, the lead actor is a musician. Uh, a number of the other people involved in the film themselves are musicians. And he said he absolutely loves working with people with a musical background because, as you just put it, the sense of pace, rhythm... Uh, dialogue is obviously a big part of good dialogue is a certain rhythm that you find interaction between actors and and in the dialogue itself and and uh, he really was you know adamant about this idea that he he loved to and would continue to work with people with a with a background in music and uh, and so that sounds like a very much of your sensibility as well yeah yeah it always has been i was a musician, you know, young and inexperienced before I started making films, but but even some of my teachers uh, who taught me writing and dialogue uh, uh, and editing, for instance, were musicians. Yeah. A um, couple of things I want to talk to you about. One is, uh, you know, I said tragic comic, sort of the, the characterization of the, the films. Also very philosophical. Um, I, I don't know if that has anything to do with musical background, but your your films, Henry Fool particularly, and this one, uh, a lot of religious overtones to uh, Ned Rifle, uh, things that are going on in the lives of these people. Um, philosophy, how did that enter into your uh, your process as an artist? Well, I, I think I just, you know, as I was beginning to learn how to write and how to make films, I also was... <clears throat> learning to read uh and and i just wanted to know more about things you know about people why people are the way they are why society is the way it is and um so i guess i read a lot of history and that brought me to philosophy because there were references you know to certain schools of thought and stuff and then i I wound up becoming pretty uh, you know like i don't know i'm not an expert but I've done a lot of reading and a lot of writing about religion, particularly as it pertains to the American civic body. Because I started writing about the events at Waco, Texas, in in 1993, uh, between the federal government and the Branch Davidians, this Christian sect that uh, got into all kinds of trouble with the law. And uh, that was around the time I was writing Henry Fool. and I was interested in that as a as a civilian. You know, I, you know, I wanted to write something about the, <clears throat> the contradiction or the, the problems that are inevitably going to arise from a country uh, that, on some superficial level, is uh, offering freedom of religion, you know, freedom of conscience. But it's also a country where you're allowed to stockpile weapons if you pay the right taxes. And Yes. So that's the kind of thing that happened down the way of Texas. But in order to understand who these people were, who seemed like from another planet when I started you know, investigating it, I had to really educate myself about the history of Christianity. And at first it was just the history of Christianity in America and all these different sects that grew up out of it. Uh, but, you know, so now I know a lot about it. And, uh, 
and I've always liked to read about, uh, because of history, about other religions, too. Um, I find I, I gravitate to the poetry of religions rather than the dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so people are surprised. I get a lot of it recently because of this film. I mean, Ned yeah. is... I, I tried to create a character who was legitimately, you know, sincerely religious, but a little off the rails at the beginning of the story and yeah. less so at the end of the story. Yeah. So, you know, um, but I treat him with respect. And so a lot of people are find that funny because I'm pretty clearly not a religious person. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't preclude an appreciation of what religion achieves. Yeah, and and um, by the way, we're speaking with Hal Hartley. The film we're talking about is Ned Rifle. It's the third of the trilogy films uh, that uh, Hal has directed since going back to 1998, and that would be Henry Fool, and then Faye Grimm in 2007, and now Ned Rifle. You're going to be uh, tonight at the New Art Theater, as as I understand it. Correct me. If I'm no, right. we're going to be at the Cinema uh, Cinema. Family. Oh, I'm so sorry. Cinema Family. Yeah, that's right. No, cinema my family. my bad. On right. Fairfax. Thank you. Yeah. The Cine Family, one of the great institutions in Southern California for film lovers. This is a fantastic enterprise, always bringing in very interesting films and filmmakers. And obviously tonight you'll be there with uh, Aubrey Plaza uh, and and as well as who else is uh, uh, Liam Aiken uh-huh. who plays Ned himself and who has always played Ned. His yeah. first role at six years old was in Henry Fool, um, and James Urbaniak who is central to all of these stories. He plays Simon Grimm, yeah. the garbage man poet of Woodside, Queens. Yeah, it, it, and, um, yeah and he's terrific. A, a very underappreciated actor. I, I, I like him in everything. I, every time I see him, I, he's not in a tremendous amount of film, but he uh, he's just terrific, and all the yeah. way through Henry Fool, uh, and as well as in Ned Rifle. Um, and... I, now, as a filmmaker, going back to 1997, 98, when you were working on Henry Fool, to today uh, with Ned Rifle, you you alluded to it earlier. You know, sort of improving your on your ability to make good with what resources, excuse me, what resources you have. Uh, what are the other sort of things that you feel like you've learned um, as a filmmaker, and uh, in, in maybe include in that sort of the character development, characters that you've been working on for obviously now almost 20 years, but what do, what do you think that in, in those terms as an f- artist and a filmmaker have, have been the, the takeaways from the last uh, 20 years of working on this trilogy? Mm, well, I confidence. I mean, I think mm. I've just gained a confidence about um, these things we were talking about, you know, how to, how to make scenes that are rich and complex uh, and keep them moving uh, and keep them uh, you know I don't make mainstream entertainment but I also don't make obscure art films either you know so um, bridging the gap between those I I think I've become more confident in it I mean I think my earliest films achieve the same thing but less consciously Mm -hmm. I was kind of just trying out a lot of different things all the time and uh, I had very strong inclinations, which kind of glue them all together. And you know, people often say that my films are immediately recognizable as a Hartley film, if you know what a Hartley film is. Um, but I think I've just become more conscious and, and uh, uh, effective 
at making stories for grown-up people who want to think and want to, you know, confront complex issues, you know, without necessarily, you know, simplifying them in order to, simplifying them out of all recognition in order just to make, you know, you know, the plot keep moving along. Um, I feel more confident with that. Okay. And it and it shows. I, I mean, the, Ned, Ned Rifle feels... Uh, like the work of a very confident filmmaker. I, I think that's a, a great way uh, to put it because, first of all, you trust, obviously in a film like this and, and throughout your films, uh, you really put a lot of trust in actors. Um, uh, there, I have a sense that there's some improv going on, but that may not be the case. I mean, this could have... Been no, the there's no improv in my yeah. films Okay, all. okay. Um, that's one of the things people have to get used to. Like uh, Aubrey, you know, who's a great improviser, as is Parker Posey, too, actually, when I started working with her. But uh, the thing that happens on the first day is that, you know, the reality is that for the actor to realize that, no, this is the text. We're locked the in. text you're going <laughs> okay. to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, and they usually get into it right away. And not only that, that but the movement, you know, the physical activity is uh, not known beforehand. But once I'm ready to start shooting a particular shot, we've determined what the acti- physical activity is going to be. And it has to be done the same way. You know, it's going to be repeated. Um, which, you know, is less and less of a... It's old-fashioned now, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like your uh, reference earlier to you make independent films, but you don't make obscure films. And I think that's a great niche. I mean, that that's a great way to put it for people because often when you when you talk with people about independent films and filmmakers, there's an assumption that, you know, every they're shooting in, in their garage and they're, you know, they're running down the street with a camera and they have no right. idea what's going to happen. There uh, is and, a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that, you know, it's obviously a very artsy, I mean, not your films, but independent filmmakers can be very, you know, yeah, as you put it, obscure. Um, what kind of music, uh, but your, some of your music is in uh, Ned Rifle. All of it. I, I, I scored the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. And so, well, then I may have the answer to my question. But tell uh, tell our listeners what um, kind of music you you tend to to play. Well, I, yeah, I make all my music on uh, a digital workstation from the late '90s, early 2000s. So, and it's the digital workstation. Um, well, it suits me because you know, I was in my 20s in the 1980s, and I think particularly with uh, Ned Rifle, I kind of went back and I listened to all my vinyl from college, you know, what we were listening to back then, Echo and the Bunnymen, or, yeah. uh, you know, the Talking Heads, and, you know, Gang of Four and stuff like that. Uh, to, you know, because I noticed just in society, that, you know, when I'm in restaurants and stuff, a lot of that music is coming back, like people who are 20 now and making music are reaching back to that music and, and making their own music kind of that speaks to that. But also they're they're covering that music. And so, you know, the 80s are back. <laughs> and uh, that was the kind of music I knew something about because uh, I grew up at that time, too. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, the music you listen to when you're a kid, yeah. you know, you kind of really identify with it, and it stays in your bones. Yeah. So I think there are certain cuts on the CD, which uh, is available now that, um, on iTunes, the soundtrack on iTunes and Amazon and everything. Um, there's a couple of things like Redeemer, the opening cut. I mean, those are real 1980s rocker yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Not not 
quite anthem rock, but yeah, there's some anthem blues rock uh, towards the end. Okay, well, that's uh, it's a. Uh, uh, I just wanted to find out is uh, you don't play like a jazz thing. It, it's it's more what you just described. Yeah, it sounds more, but it works for the film, by the way. And uh, yeah, well, um, I want to once again remind everyone that uh, Hal Hartley will be at the Cine Family tonight. And if you're at the corner of Melrose and Fairfax, you're it's right down the street. It's right down Fairfax from from Melrose. It's right across from Hollywood. I mean, uh, Fairfax High School. Uh, and as I said, it's a, it's it is truly one of the top two or three places in Los Angeles to go see a movie because everyone there is fully involved, uh, lovers of film, and and they've increasingly getting just an amazing array of filmmakers to come down and talk about their films, and this is no exception. Um, I uh, want to thank you so much for being a part of Film School, Hal Hartley. Uh, again, been watching going back a long ways uh, your films and it's uh, it's just uh, terrific to have you on here today thank well, you well thanks for having me thank you so great much talk thank you uh, Hal Hartley uh, t- the film is Ned a Rifle you can see it uh, tonight at the Cine Family where he will be with uh, members of the cast from the film uh, Ned Rifle uh, thank you Hal take care take care bye thanks. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.